Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us. That means if you've never been to church, if you walked away from church, or have struggled to find a church home, we were started for you. For more information about Collective and how to join us on a Sunday morning, please head to www.mycollective.church. So we are officially seven days into the new year. How many of you made New Year's resolutions? A few? You can clap for it, I guess. Sure, clap. Anybody? Yeah. Uh, how many of you have already failed at your New Year's resolution? Any, we got a few? Yeah. Um, how many of you don't care about resolutions? Yeah, there you go. That's mostly. That's good. That's good. So I was hanging out with a friend of mine the other day who said his New Year's resolution was to use one whole tube of chapstick this year. And I told him it was the dumbest resolution I've ever heard in my life. And then I got home, and I couldn't find my chapstick. So I went to CVS, and I got another one. And I realized that it's not a dumb resolution. It's the hardest resolution anyone has ever made. There's no way he's going to keep it. He's going to lose it. He's going to wash it. He doesn't have a kid, but if you have a toddler, you know they take those things, they destroy them. And so for him, that's his resolution this year. I heard a stat the other day that said by February, 84% of the people will have already failed or given up on their New Year's resolution. And the main reason why is because having a New Year's resolution is typically about adding something to your life, adding going to the gym, adding putting yourself out there and going out on more dates, adding a new diet, adding going to church. And the problem is that we add to an already crowded schedule, and as we add, we try to, find other, we try to keep the other plates spinning and hoping that nothing falls. But every year, something does. And so the reality is it's easier to cut the new thing. But the problem isn't the new thing. The new thing might be good. The new thing might be something that you need in your life. The problem is our inability to balance it all. According to the editors of the Concise Oxford Dictionary, the most used noun in the English language is time. I need more time. I don't have enough time. Time is running out. We joke that if we had more time in the day, we'd be able to get everything done. And we feel this battle every day. You know, I want to be a responsible person. I have family, and I have work, and I have church. I want to be in shape. I should go to that event. I need to cook and clean. I haven't been to the doctor in months. That's actually me. I haven't been to the doctor in like three years. It's bad. Don't judge me. But it becomes overwhelming. And somebody eventually says to you, you need to find balance. You need to figure, a way, figure out a way to balance everything in your life. And that sounds great. But the problem is that balance is a myth. So even if we try our best, we fail. Even if we do everything to the best of our ability, something will eventually fall. And so then, because we don't have enough time, we feel guilty. I personally struggle with this every day. Um, I struggle to say no to things. And because of that, I overextend myself and things will fall to the wayside or I won't be able to give it my best. And then I start to feel guilty. And I feel like a better dad would have spent more time with his daughter. I feel like a better husband would have spent more time with his wife. I feel like a better son would eventually call my mom back. I feel like a better friend wouldn't have to schedule time to hang out with my friends weeks and months into the future. And I personally end up feeling like I'm letting people down, that I'm a disappointment, that I'm not good enough, that I'm not smart enough to make it all work, or talented enough to get my work done faster. The reality is I start feeling like I'm just not enough. That even when I do my best, I can't have a perfectly balanced life, and that takes me to a dark place, and I start to shut down. Have you ever been there? To be honest, I used to think it was just me. I used to think I was the only one that felt that pressure and that spiral. 
but I've realized that it's everyone. And when we have these moments, we have options. And so we, we, we end up doing one of three things. We either try to ignore the problem. That's usually the easiest, right? Let's just ignore how this feels. Let's just ignore this burden. Some of us, we try to live in constant stress. We don't know what peace is. We don't know what rest is. We just live in this world where every single thing stresses us out and brings tension to our lives, but we try to live in that. Sometimes we try to commit to doing one thing really well, and we end up neglecting everything else. And so what I want to show you in this series is that there's another way. If balance is the goal, then something is already lost because we rarely have perfect balance. Do any of you know who Nick Walenda is? Anybody? A few of you are nodding your head, you do. So Nick Walenda is an American acrobat and high-wire artist. He owns nine world records, including one for walking the steepest tightrope incline between two buildings. He owns another one for the highest tightrope walk while blindfolded. In 2013, he tightrope walked the Grand Canyon. Did, did any of you guys watch? Do you remember that? It like went nuts on Twitter. In fact, we, my wife and I, we weren't even watching it, but we were on Twitter and it was like, this is trending, so we turned it on. And I remember watching it on TV and he's tightroping the Grand Canyon and I'm secretly hoping that he would fall. I know, I'm terrible. I just thought it would make great TV. I just think you're gonna tightrope the Grand Canyon, 50-50. But I remember watching Walenda as, walk, as he walked across the Grand Canyon and the whole time, He's swaying from side to side, and he's using this pole that's, you know, 20, 30 feet long, and he's using it to steady his balance as he walks. And even though he made it across to the other side, he never stood with perfect balance. He was always swaying. He was always moving forward. He was always adjusting himself as he went. Because the reality is he can't find a perfect balance. He can't be in optimal balance, which is why he has to use the pole. And the problem in our own life is that when we talk about balance, we talk about it as if it's a solution to the stress that we have in our life. You'll hear people say, you need to balance work and family. You need to balance your hobbies and your spiritual life. But that means that one is over here and the other is over here. So if one is too much, you're off balance. And so as you work to make one perfect, the other one starts to fall to the wayside. You overcorrect, and before you know it, you're neglecting your family. You're neglecting your social life. You're like neglecting your spiritual life. There's not enough that we can do to create balance. Now, if you don't like your work or your family, that makes sense. You might not care if you're balanced. I have a job and a family that I love, so I don't want to have to balance my work and my family because the reality is one of them will end up losing. But I want to be in a place where my family benefits my work and my work benefits my family. And when you think about it, there are times in your life when you're out of balance, and it's a good thing. When you have a baby, your life is out of balance. You don't know what sleep is. You don't have a social life. Your world revolves around making sure that baby is clothed and fed and changed and held. Your life is out of balance, and that is a good thing. Because in that moment, that child is more dependent on you for support than any other time for the rest of their life. When you're in college, your life is out of balance because you're trying to balance work and a social life and maintain a high GPA, and that's a good thing. I personally want a doctor who's immersed himself or herself for years in order to get a PhD so that they know how to take care of me when I'm not well, if I actually do show up at the doctor. I want it. I don't want to go, but I just want to know that's available. I want an engineer who pulled all-nighters learning how to build roads that will keep my family safe. I want a teacher who skipped nights out so they can learn the best ways to teach my daughter. Being out of balance can be good. Some of our greatest achievements come from when we lived our lives out of balance. And to be honest, any big goal that we have in our life creates an imbalance. 
You want to start a business. You want to complete an Ironman. You want to go on a mission trip every year for the rest of your life. You want to read 200 books. You can do that if you are out of balance. Now, we can also choose to be out of balance in a bad way. We can try to live on junk food for every meal. That's a bad way to live out of balance. We can binge on Netflix five hours a day, every day of the week. That's bad balance. Some of you aren't sure that's bad balance. It is bad balance. That's not good. You can spend every night going out and drinking at the cost of your wallet and your job and your social life. That's bad balance. And those are bad things. So if balance is hard to get, and a lot of good things in life come from living life out of balance, there must be a better way. And there is, and that's what we're going to talk about in this series over the next few weeks. There's a thing called integration. You cannot live a balanced life. That's just the reality. When you think about it and you actually work through it and you try it, you fail. There's no way that you can be balanced. It is impossible to be perfectly balanced in every aspect of your life. And if you acknowledge that balance is a myth, you will take a step toward freedom today because you're beating yourself up over things that are impossible to achieve. You'll never achieve them. So this series was created to help you live a life that's a life to the fullest, a life of integration. John 10.10, Jesus says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, and I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. What Jesus is talking about here is he's talking about Satan. Satan is the thief, and his goal is to kill and destroy. Satan's goal is to ruin every aspect of your life. And even going a step further, the goal is to destroy, but it's also to force you into a dark place where you feel shame and guilt about the mistakes that you've made because you can't be balanced. But Jesus says that he's come so that we could have life to the full, the best version of that life. And I believe that integration is a part of life to the fullest. And in case you're wondering, this isn't just my opinion. This isn't a self-help topic. This is scriptural. Most people try to achieve balance by segmenting their lives. When you think about your own life, you think about segments, right? You think about your family, you think about work, you think about social life, you think about hobbies, you think about fitness, you think about all those things. We create these little boxes and we segment our lives. And the reality is when we segment our lives, we try to create balance and we fail. So we try to put church over here and when we leave, we don't really want to talk about it. I try to put my work over here, but we try to keep that away from our family we try to keep our social life over here, and it doesn't cross paths with anything else. But the reality is your work does impact your family, and your social life does impact your relationship with God. It's all integrated even when we are aiming for balance. So God, in his great wisdom, 3,500 years ago when he was teaching on the law, he knew this, and he actually taught his people integration. This is what he says. Deuteronomy 6.4, as written through Moses, this is what it says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is very important because it says that there is one God. In the ancient world, they tried to balance spirituality. They said there was a God of the river and a God of the sun and God of the harvest. But God, who created everything in the world, is saying there's just one God, that he permeates everything, that he's over everything, that there is no other God. It continues in Deuteronomy 6.5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. What's really cool about this is Jesus actually quotes this later in Matthew 22, verse 37. And Jesus actually says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your mind. So he adds mind in there instead of strength. And this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible because I think Jesus is telling people not to be dumb. I think it's really important that Jesus tells people that you can love God with your mind. Think about it. Following Jesus isn't something where you close off your brain and you stop thinking critically about life. Jesus actually says, no, you love God with your mind. Think about it. 
Put the time in, put the research in, and, and actually study this topic. But what Moses is writing through God and what Jesus is saying is it's integration. You love God with all the aspects of your life. Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 8, it continues. These commandments that I give to you are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. You might have seen Orthodox, Orthodox Jews from time to time. They'll actually have a box tied to their forehead. And they have a Bible verse in there because they're taking this literally. They're taking what Deuteronomy says literally and they're tying a Bible verse to their head so that they remember it everywhere that they go. Moses continues when he writes this in Deuteronomy 6.9. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So what God is saying through Moses is integrate these commands into everything. Wherever you go, whatever you talk about, put them on your body, talk about them everywhere. Integrate God into every aspect of your life. This is God teaching his people integration. What he's saying is integrate me everywhere. This teaching is actually called the Shema in Jewish culture. And it's a part of a prayer that serves as the centerpiece of their morning and evening prayers every single day. So Jewish men and women say this Shema twice a day, every single day, because it's that important. Because they realize the first thing when they wake up in the morning, the last thing they go to bed, is this idea of integrating Jesus into every single aspect of their life. And integration isn't a fad. It's not, like, it's not something that you're going to do this year and that you're going to think, ah, that, that was just 2018's fad. Michael created it. You're welcome. It's not a fad. The reality is integration is necessary. It's key to living life to the fullest. I'll give you an example of how it works in my life. Since college, I've had uh, some great opportunities to go and preach and teach and talk at like conferences and churches and other cool things like that. And so I've been able to go to Georgia and Florida, Virginia, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, and to be able to speak about church planting and to be able to talk about collective. And to be honest, it's something that I love to do. I don't know why they ask me to do it, but I say yes anytime that they do, which goes back to an earlier problem. I don't say no to things, so we're working on that. But early on, as I was getting these opportunities, I had a mentor actually tell me that anytime I say yes to one of these opportunities, I need to make sure that I create a rule that they bring my wife with me. And so I did. And so from the beginning, when I first started having these opportunities, if someone wanted to fly me to a camp or a retreat or a conference, I would say, you got to pay for my wife to go as well. And so when we've gone to Florida, we'll take a few extra days. We'll end up going to the beach. We'll end up going to Disney. When we've been to Georgia, we spent a day in Savannah, and we went on a date night. And it's wonderful. I get to spend my time talking about collective and talking about church planting, which I love. My wife gets a few days off of reading and relaxing. We get to go out on dates. We get to eat good food. Somebody else pays for it. It makes it even better. And everybody wins because we've been able to find a way to integrate my work and my family. I know a guy that wanted to spend more time with his family. And at the same time, he wanted to be in better shape. But he struggles because he drives to and from College Park every day. It's something that we understand in Frederick totally, that the very long drive. And so as a family, they decided that they'd go to the gym every single day. And so now when he comes from home from work, his daughter's dressed and ready to go out with her mom and her dad. Integration brings family and fitness together. Integration is one of the reasons why our collectives do dinner and are kid-friendly. Friendly. Collectives are small groups that meet during the week. And what we do is we get together in a home and we actually talk about the topic that we talk about on Sunday. And so we'll take the main scripture. So we would take Deuteronomy and we'll sit together and we'll eat and we'll discuss what we read. 
And there's multiple reasons for that. One, we want people reading their Bible, and we realize this is one of the best ways to do it. We also want to create a safe space where you can ask questions. And we never assume that you come here just to listen to me tell you things and walk away going, yep, that makes sense. And so we create space where you can talk about it and ask questions. And what we do is we strategically add dinner and make them open so parents can bring their kids. It's a little chaotic. But we want integration. We want people reading their Bible. We want people immersed in community. And we don't want it to come at the cost of your family. We don't want it to come at the cost of a social life. We don't want it to come at the cost of dinner. And so as a church, we strive for integration. And we create a safe space for our spiritual lives and our families and our social lives to mix. And so you can't balance everything. You will fall. And the key is trying to figure out, how do I integrate parenting and church? How do I integrate dating and my hobby? How do I integrate family and work? How do I integrate the different things that need to be done so I can do them all well? By the way, when we talk about integration in this series of the next few weeks, we're not talking about multitasking. This is something completely different. In fact, there's a man named Clifford Noss who was a researcher at Stanford University, and he believed he was a multitasker. He was very proud of this fact. He told everybody, I can multitask. It's because I'm smarter than you, and, and I'm going to prove it. And so what he did was he did a bunch of things to research and try to validate this idea that he was a great multitasker. He thought that certain people would be gifted and be able to get more things done because of their brain and the way that they function. And so he set up studies. And he set up study after study after study about multitasking. And at the end of the day, this is what he said. He said, we were absolutely shocked. We all lost our bets. It turns out that multitaskers are terrible at every aspect of multitasking. Multitasking is a myth. It's not something you can do. It's this idea of balance. What ends up happening is you drop everything. For those of you who are like being defensive right now, it's scientifically proven. <laughs> I told my friend this the other day. He's like, no, I'm a multitasker. I was like, dude, science. Like, use your brain. So when we talk about integration in this series, we're not talking about multitasking. But the bottom line is that when you integrate, we're able to do life to the fullest. You won't feel that guilt of being off balance. You don't feel like you're falling down constantly. You don't feel like you're letting people down. When you integrate, you're living how God instructs us to. And so if integration is the key, where do we start? Where do we begin? How do we do that? That's, it's so countercultural to the things that we've been told our entire life. We've been told balance, 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 balance. So how do we integrate and how do we do it well? So integration starts with Jesus. In order for integration to work, you need to have the right ingredients. It doesn't matter if you have the right segments. It doesn't matter if you have the right hobbies or the right social life. It doesn't matter if you have the family. You have to have the right ingredients. And for integration to work, Jesus has to be at the center. If Jesus isn't at the center, it won't work. Try it. You can try to integrate Netflix into every area of your life, but you'll be left with a lack of purpose. You can try to integrate your social life into every center and, and every aspect of your life, and you'll be left tired and worn out. Jesus has to be at the center because following Jesus is what leads to the John 10.10 life, the best life possible. Now, it doesn't mean that it will be perfect. This is something that we say all the time here at Collective. Grace is real. Love is real. Redemption is real. That doesn't mean life is easy. Bad things still happen. Pain still happens. But, although it won't be perfect, when Jesus is at the center of your life, it does become better. 
Check this out. Deuteronomy 6.1. Let's jump back a little bit. A little bit. This is what it says. Uh, this is what Moses writes. He says, These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach to you to observe in the land that you're crossing the Jordan to possess. And so Moses is talking to the people of Israel, and he's saying, there's a promised land. Follow these rules, and you will get there. He continues, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy a long life. Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Here's what he's saying. This isn't a math formula, so that if you obey God's laws, you'll live till you're 100 and have millions of dollars in the bank. What this is saying is that if you submit to God, if you integrate him into every area of your life, that this is the best path to experience the best life possible. The natural result to following God's commands is living a good life. It's not easy. There's still pain, but it's good. And God wants that for us. His commands and his rules and his laws aren't a burden. In reality, they set us free, and that's what allows us to live life to the fullest. I know when you start following Jesus, this is hard to believe. And, and some of you are here, and you're not even sure if Jesus is real or what relationship that would be like, and so you're skepti skeptical, and I totally get that. That changing how you feel or how you've always done things or what culture says, it's, it's hard to make that decision. It's hard to say, okay, I'm going to change everything I've ever learned in my life, everything I've been taught, and everything that culture says, hey, this is the right way to do it, and I'm going to do something completely different. But God loves you more than anyone else in this world. And if that's true so much that he would send his son to die for us. I hope we believe it and trust to the point that we might actually follow and integrate him into our life. When I first taught my daughter, Elise, not to run to the street, she didn't like it. She would get so angry. We, we, she'd be, I'd tell her, go ahead and stand on the curb, don't go anywhere, and I'd like go into the car, and two seconds later, she's gone. She's like running around in the middle of a parking lot. And every single time, I'd pick her up and I'd put her back on the curb and say, hey, you cannot run into the road. And she'd laugh, and she'd think it was hilarious, and she'd say, but I want to, and she'd run back into the road. She's two and a half, by the way, so if you're an adult doing that, there's another thing. <laughs> but the thing is, as a kid, she didn't realize that I love her and that I want to keep her safe. And so there are going to be rules and commands and guidelines that God is going to give you, and they won't make sense. And to be honest, they'll probably frustrate you. But you have to remember that they're coming from a God that loves you and knows what's best for you. God designed you. He created you. And so every law is for our benefit, and it's for our good. Here's a conviction that we have at Collective. Life with Jesus is the best life possible. That work is more fulfilling when you follow Jesus because you have purpose. That parenting is better when you follow Jesus because you have direction. That relationships are more authentic when you follow Jesus because you have trust. That sex is healthier when you follow Jesus because there's no shame. That your finances are under control when you follow Jesus because there's no debt. Life with Jesus is the best life possible. And so integration has to start with Jesus. And what happens is that the way of God and the will of God and the heart of God will permeate everything in your life so that when you talk about him when you get up and when you lay down and when you're walking on the road. So my challenge for everyone today as we start this year is what would it look like for you to put God at the center of everything? 
God makes it clear in Deuteronomy. He makes it clear later when Jesus comes and teaches us how to live our life. God makes it very clear that he should be at the center of everything. And let's be honest, when you start living that way, it's a jolt. Because if your spiritual life is contained here only on Sunday morning, and you start setting time aside to pray together as a family before you go to bed, that's going to be a jolt. It's going to be hard. If you actually invite God into your finances and decide to begin trusting him by giving away a percentage of your finances to the work of the local church, that's going to be a jolt because we're so used to working and living on 100%. If you try to integrate God into work, that means he's going to start coming up in conversations, even though the workplace might not be a place where you want to talk about faith. You're going to start talking to coworkers about God and how it's meant and impacted your own life. And that's going to be a jolt. I say all this because I want you to know it's not easy. It's not going to be easy. But it will make life better. It's simple, but it's not easy. Integration is also how you grow your faith. A lot of people ask, like, how do I, how do I grow my faith? How do I get stronger spiritually? And, and to be honest, integration is one of those ways. So here's what happens to me when I get convicted of something. And what I mean is that when I feel a nudge when I'm reading scripture, when I'm praying, or just like going through life, when I feel a prompt of like, I think I should do that, right? You've felt that before where you're sitting in a, a coffee shop or you're driving down the road and someone pops into your mind or you see that person, you're like, oh crap, right? Because God is saying like, go, go do this thing, go in this direction. And he's kind of pushing you in that way. So I believe that's God's spirit. I believe that's God's Holy Spirit that he promised me when I repented and was baptized that lives inside me. I believe that's the Holy Spirit prompting me saying, go pay attention to this thing. Go reach out to this person. Go take this step. But if I have the wrong perspective, I'll think now I have to go and do this on top of everything else that I'm supposed to do. And then I'll make excuses. I don't have time for this. I can't fit this in. I can't cut something else from my schedule. And what happens is the promptings from God almost feel like a burden. But what God is saying isn't add something else to your plate. He's saying live, like, like, live life like you believe this. Like you trust that God and following him leads to a better life. A lot of people say they don't experience the power of God in their lives, and it leaves them frustrated and wanting to throw in the towel, and just, to be honest, it leaves them wanting to walk away from church. But maybe the reason we haven't experienced the power of God is because we haven't acted like we believe it, like we do think it's that important. Mark eleven twenty four. 24, Jesus says this, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you've received it and it will be yours. And so if something is really important to you and you really do believe that God can make a difference, you don't have to add it to a checklist. You don't have to try to fit it into your schedule to pray to God about it. If there's integration, you cry out to the creator of the universe, go intervene in this thing. When you have a crisis, your reaction isn't to numb yourself with another drink or go and vent to your friends. With Jesus being at the center, your reaction is to call out to God. Your reaction is to follow as he leads. And then what happens is integration becomes the key to your spiritual growth because it's how you worship. We talk a collective all the time about reading your Bible or joining a collective, serving, giving. But if you're going for balance, those things will become a burden. And the, re- and the reason why is because you're trying to force them into an already crowded schedule that you don't have enough time for. But if you go for integration, they become a part of the life that you already live. Check out, some, check out a way some of my friends uh, integrate faith into their life. I have a friend who wanted to start reading his Bible more, but he hates reading, just absolutely hates it. He has ADD. He can't sit still for more than two seconds. And so he finds a hard time every time he sits down and he gets distracted. He also has three kids. And so if he tries to read his Bible, he just can't seem to dig in. 
At the same time, he knows he needs to work out. And so what he does is he goes to the gym every single day and he rides a stationary bike. And while he's there, he reads. He reads his Bible. I have friends who want to worship more. And so they, they don't just want to do it here on Sunday mornings. What they did was they actually created a playlist based off the songs that we play here and they listened to them on the commute to and from work. I have friends who want to pray more. So they created intentional space to read and pray with their children before they go to bed. They're integrating Jesus into their life, and it's growing their faith. Let me take this a step further. I've been told that in the Hebrew language, which is the original language of the Old Testament, which Deuteronomy was written in, I've been told that there's actually no word for spiritual in the Hebrew language. There's no word for spiritual, meaning there's spiritual growth or spiritual disciplines. And through all the research I've done, I I think it's true. I can't find a way and and a time where spiritual is actually used in the Hebrew language. And so today in our culture, people will ask, how is your spiritual life? What are your spiritual disciplines? What are you doing spiritually? But in Hebrew, there's not a word for that. And the reason why is because the implicit communication is that there isn't a spiritual segment of your life, that everything is spiritual. God is the God of everything. God is the God of every place, and God is the God of every person. And so going to work can be an act of worship because Jesus is at the center, and your main goal is to live a life that other people can see Jesus through. Being a parent can be an act of worship because Jesus is at the center and you can show your kids what truth and grace look like. Hanging out with your friends can be an act of worship because Jesus is at the center and your relationships have trust and accountability that leads people closer to God. So here's the deal. I personally in this church want you to have the best life possible. We want you to have a John 10, 10 life, life to the fullest. But in order for that to happen, integration is key. And specifically, integration where Jesus is at the center. And so here's my challenge today as we start off 2018. My challenge for you is to take a step towards integration. Take a step toward putting Jesus at the center of your life. Forget trying to use a whole tube of chapstick this year. That's not a good resolution. Make a real resolution that can lead to a better life and a better marriage and better relationship, better handle on your finances and a better life. For some of you, to be honest, that's joining a collective. Integrate Jesus into your relationships by making new ones in a safe place to explore God in faith. On your connection card, there's a box that you can check off saying that you're interested. We'll follow up with you this week because for some of you, the way that you integrate is finding relationships where Jesus is at the center of their life as well. For some of you, it's integrating Jesus into your relationship with your boyfriend or your girlfriend and bringing him here. For some of you, it's integrating Jesus into your commute by listening to your Bible on your your drive. You can download the YouVersion app and it'll read the Bible to you. There's nothing better than that. There'll be a lot less road rage if you do that. For some of you, you need to integrate Jesus into your family and you need to start a nightly routine of reading your Bible and praying together. And that's not just for families who have kids. It's easy to be like, oh, you have kids, you should do that. But if you don't have kids, it's a better time to do that. So when you have kids, it's a part of your routine. It's a part of how you integrate Jesus into your life. But for some of you, in order for integration to begin in your life, you have to take a step and put Jesus at the center. The reality is some of you can walk away today and you could, you could use integration and it'll change your life. It will. And you could do integration without putting Jesus at the center, and you will see that your relationships are better, your work is better, your family is better. It it really will make a difference in every area of your life. But for some of you, 
the step and the first thing that you have to do is put Jesus at the center. You need to actually make the decision to make Jesus the leader of your life. You need to make the decision to be baptized, to accept the free gift of grace that Jesus offers and start there. We got people here that are hesitant and, and have been working through that decision. And so what I would say is, is 2018, start fresh. Make the decision today. You can come talk to me. It's on your connection card. I'd love to talk to you about not just integrating things into your life, but putting Jesus at the center of that integration and watching your entire life change. I'm not a huge fan of resolutions. I don't do it. Like, I, I was thinking about it. My wife and I were talking about it. I was like, I want to work out more. I was like, I'm not making the resolution because I'm seven days in. I haven't been to a gym. I live in an apartment. It has a gym there. Don't know where it is. There's a key somewhere in my house that gets me in. I don't know. But so for me, I don't love resolutions. It's not something, because honestly, like, I think health is important. But for me, I struggle to make it more important than everything else. So I don't make resolutions. It's not something I love to do. Because as I've been reading this and working through this topic for months, trying to figure out how do I explain this to a church, I realize I've got to do more integration in my own life. I realize that with my wife, like, I love spending time with her. I love spending time with my kid. And Jesus is a part of it because we're here. But it's not a part of our everyday routine. And so for me, one of the things that I want to do is I want to integrate Jesus more into my life and the more into the things that I do. And I want to see what happens. What's the worst that could happen in 2018 if you decide to integrate Jesus into your life? What's the worst that could happen? And so my challenge to you today is give it a shot. Take that step. Join a collective. Get baptized. Join this team. Be a part of this church. Just show up regularly. Like they, for a lot of you, and for, it's, it's hard going to church. We talk about this every week. It's not easy to come here. And so for some of you, the decision might be, I'm just going to come back next week. No matter where you are in your faith, whether you've been integrating Jesus into the center for a long time, this is a new thing you've never heard of before, let's make 2018 better than 2017. And I promise you 100% that if you do it the right way and you put Jesus in the center of it, that you'll come back at the end of 2018 and you'll say, this worked. You'll see healthier relationships, a healthier family, more joy at work, more purpose. And you begin to see a life full of hope and peace and grace and love beyond anything balance will get you. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that, that we have the opportunity to put you at the center of our life. God, the reality is the decisions that we make and what culture tells us to do, it's just not working. We're not happy. We're frustrated. We're angry. We're disappointed. We're broken. So God, I pray today that as a church and as a group of people that we make the decision to integrate you into everything that we do. God, help us figure out today what step we need to take to, to, to begin that. God, we recognize that, that sometimes it's a little step, sometimes it's a big one. God, I pray that you give confidence to every person here that whatever decision they make to integrate you into their life this year in 2018, God, that you're with them. God, I pray that this year is incredible. And I pray that we get to the end of 2018 and people look back and they look back at a moment like today where they make a decision, I'm going to take a step and I'm going to start following Jesus more. I'm going to take a step and I'm going to trust him more. I'm going to take a step and I'm going to live with grace more and truth more. And God, I pray that at the end of 2018, people look back and say, that was the beginning of one of the best years of my life. God, we know it doesn't take away pain and we know it doesn't take away brokenness. But God, we recognize that integrating you gives us peace and purpose 
and hope. And sometimes it just gives us people to be around us. So when the messiness of life starts to bring us down, we have people to pick us back up. God, thank you for the ways that you love us. God, help us put you at the center. We pray these things in your name. Amen.